Civic pride. It seems obvious. Of course we understand the importance of it. Of course we want to foster it. But are we? Are the choices we're making as residents on up to city leadership made through a lens of civic pride? That's what we'll be talking about on today's episode of Eyes on the Street. You're listening to Eyes on the Street, a civic brand podcast. Conversations on community branding, engagement, and marketing. Today's episode is brought to you by Vacant Buildings. Sorry, we're not even for sale. My name is Jeff Sigler. Uh, I run a small firm called Revitalizer Die, and uh, kind of took a brash name approach because I realized that you know, it's a topic that's so important that I don't think that we elevate to the status it should be. And a lot of communities spend a lot of time, money, and effort doing work that doesn't really improve their community. And so uh, my message has been we've got to take this more serious. I mean, it's truly a choice. You either revitalize, make it a better place to live, or your community's going to go away. That's Jeff Siegler of Revitalize or Die. I had the chance to sit down with Jeff at the recent Texas Downtowns Conference. We had a great conversation about civic pride and what that means for communities. So, so what are those things that you file under? Waste of time, waste of money. <laughs> um, I get frustrated with traditional tourism, traditional economic development. Some of those uh, efforts, I think, you know, they, that we don't need help propping up the entire business community. We need help propping up a local business community. And I think that there needs to be a lot more effort in fostering local ownership and fostering a local business community because it's, it's hard to compete with large national chains. Yeah, for sure. We were just talking about Amazon and people want to, you know, my friends roll, roll their eyes anytime anybody mentions Amazon in front of me because it's like banned in our house and right. like we won't, you know, um, I'm super big on that. But yeah, through that process, we started to see there was a little bit of a, a turning over. People started to get it of like, it's not just convenience, it's supporting local, creating that local economy. Right. Uh, um, Yeah, I've come to realize, you know, we thought it was convenience. We thought, oh, convenience will be great. This is a a super cool idea that we'll be able to get in our cars and go get everything. But I don't think what we really had in mind or what we realized was going to happen is that that was going to wipe out a whole generation of entrepreneurs. That was going to decimate the business class or, you know, all the business people in the community because there's simply no way or it was too difficult to compete. You know, you can't have both. Uh, or it's it's really really difficult. Um, so, you know, we're I think we're recovering from all the lost skills, all the lost trades, all the people that used to be entrepreneurs, and trying to figure out our way back because we realized that the sprawl economy and the local economy can't compete, and the local economy is so is is a hell of a lot better for communities. Right. So, I, where do you think people like? Where do we need to start? Like, I think uh, one of the big things is, is just trying to get city leaders to understand the cost of sort of embracing the sprawl economy, that it means less ownership in the community, less engagement, less endearment. You know, a big thing that I, I like to talk about is pride. What my grandfather's city used to have was pride. You know, the same city I grew up in, but it, it didn't have any. There's no pride in my hometown, but my grandfather's had a lot. You know, there were... Your friends owned businesses, people you knew, they owned buildings, they were all built with quality materials and local materials and craftsmanship and all these things that would make, you know, and you knew one another and that would sort of make you very proud of your town. Uh, the city I grew up in, you know, nobody owned anything, it, things were run down and it was more a sense of shame and, and how devastating that is to 
try to manage a community that's full of people. And, and eventually, we become our place. You know, I, I go back to the idea, like, I wish that we would consider places as important as food. We're obsessed with food. We talk about it all the time. There's channels. There's everything. Right. We understand that what we put in our body changes who we are. The places we live change who we are. And I think that this conversation needs to be elevated to that same platform. Yeah. You think there's, like, which way are we trending? Are we, because, I mean, I, I run into people in pockets and groups that are, are talking about these things and care about these things, but as a whole, are we getting any closer to reining that back in or no? I think so I mean I certainly uh, I think that people get I mean if you look at where the most expensive real estate value the you know the tourist destinations that receive the most people like those are all places that have that that dense walkable environment you know those are the places that honestly have changed the least over the last hundred years and I think that that is no matter what people will at least look at success stories and, and try to take the, uh, a cue from there but yeah, no one's ever traveled more than, you know, no one's ever traveled across the country to go see another strip mall. Right. But to see dense, walkable, you know, whether it's a, a French Quarter or, or Savannah, you know, those places draw people from everywhere because they're, they're special. Right. You know, we have 7,000 years of, of civilization and we built cities really well that worked incredibly well for people. It made sense. They were dense. We had strong sense of community. They were durable. Uh, all those things worked. And then we have 50 years or you know, 70 years of, well, hey, let's try this new thing. Right. Let's give a shot at this. And, and, and it didn't work. I mean, I think it's safe to say, like, that experiment didn't work. It's not really panning out. It's a detriment to society. It's expensive. It's wrecking the landscape. It's, it's pulling people further apart, making us more isolated. So it, it's safe to, or it's okay to say, like, okay, we tried, and that's all right. And I see, I don't, the, think the, the, I don't think everybody has, you're, you're confident that it didn't work. I'm, I agree with you, right. but I think, I think, I think most people, they would question, they would be like, what do you mean it didn't work? And they don't know. Right. I mean, not to, to um, shout ignorance, but you know, at one point the environmental movement was extremely sort of a progressive or a, a liberal idea that now for the most part out of, out of some, you know, willfully ignorant people is understood like, yeah, that's an issue. Right. And I think this is the same, you know, this, um, land use and, and livability and, and how we build and, and placemaking. Those are maybe a few of us talking about them now, but that's our challenge yeah. is that we think got a lot to more is going to have to go wrong right. before the rest get on board. Um, no, I don't know if a lot more has to go on. I just think we have to elevate the conversation. I think that we have to bring it to more people. Like I said, you know, food wasn't always the, the obsession it currently is right. place needs to, to be elevated to that level. Yeah. Place needs to be thought of in the same terms of food. Yeah. Um, or travel or whatever it is, like place shapes us so much. So I think it's on us as uh, hopefully, uh, you know, leaders in this movement uh, to try to get people to pay more attention to place. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, we talk a lot about, man, I wish, you know, in school and ed public education, they talked more about how cities work because in what we do, we're in a lot of public meetings and things. And we see because of the questions that come up and the things people complain about that, there's just a disconnect and they don't, I don't think most people realize like that the way they've built their city, the city can't afford the things they're asking for and the city can't, it's not sustainable, but I don't think they know that. I don't think they understand how a city, they just know they don't want to pay taxes and they want the city to do all these things. Uh, completely agree. It, it's sort of like, you know, the air conditioner that's running that you don't know until it turns off and everything gets quiet and hopefully you're not in the middle of shouting something uh, stupid, but 
uh, I think that place is very similar. We never think about it because it's so ubiquitous. It, it affects every single thing we do, so we don't step back and think, oh, well, it's, it does seem funny that I spend you know, two hours a day in my car. Right. Like, that's because your place, or that I'm putting on weight, that's because your place, or that I don't know anybody and I'm having trouble making friends. Like That all comes down to your place, so I don't think that we ever give it nearly enough thought just because it's it's all around us it's enveloping yeah so i think that that is very much the challenge is, is how do we get because you're right like most conversations you have at the city level they never come to that conclusion like oh our, we're broke because we're constantly paying for road repairs where you could have that exact same amount of people living in a square mile and have you know gosh you'd have everything you know you'd have a pristine countryside you'd have uh, density, you'd have a strong sense of community, you'd have all these things that we traded in. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the people that there are a lot of professionals, though, that even work within the city and planning and engineers, that their motive isn't, or their goal for their task and their job isn't to create a better place. It's to, I don't know, make more cars go through this or. Um, our goals are wrong. Yeah. I mean, simply put, our goals are wrong. If, if simply growing your local economy is your only goal, then that's not going to do it. If it's moving people through your town swiftly, that's not going to do it. You know, until our goal shifts to how do we make this a better place to live, our, our cities are going to continue to struggle. And that's not currently most cities' goals. Yeah. So my, I guess my fear is that, you know, you say revitalize or die. Like, my fear is, like, we're going to have to get closer to dying before people even realize that, you know... Yeah, I think you're right. I think that it's it's yeah, it's a choice, and I think that a lot of communities probably won't come around to it until they realize. But yeah, some are, are pretty pretty close yeah. already. So, what are the things besides the I guess with the outline the besides the cities that they've been there for so long that you know they were walkable and they've always been walkable and all that? Like, are there communities that you would point at as like really good signs of they figured it out, they made some changes, or? Um, yeah, I mean, I certainly have worked with communities to, to see them go from uh, struggling to revitalize, to, you know, to actually get to witness that shift is, is pretty incredible. It's, a, it's an amazing experience, and it's sort of different to see it firsthand than I expect. And I think the, the couple of things I learned from getting to experience it firsthand is, one, aesthetics mean everything. You know, that the way something looks completely colors someone's opinion. So if what you see is a rundown, building block downtown for, for decades, you're going to hate your town. You're going to be ashamed of it. You're going to talk shit on it. Like it's not going to be something that you uh, feel good about. Right. And, and simply in changing the aesthetics as a place uh, cleans up, fixes up, trash gets picked up, weeds pulled, buildings get renovated, people's relationship to their community transforms and becomes something that they're proud of, that they invite people to, that they, I mean, if, if, if you don't take a photo, like if people aren't taking photos of your town, like you're, you got a problem. Right. No marketing strategy can fix uh, uh, not being photogenic. Right. So to see how aesthetics change that, and when people then all of a sudden are, are proud of their town, it, it's it makes all the difference. Yeah. You know, but to put that pride point, like that's what we spend a lot of time doing is trying to just figure out. Well, you know, there, there's there's glimmers of pride, there's glimmers of hope, and can we shine a light on that and show them, and you know, slowly start to put it back together. Um, yeah. I. Yeah, absolutely, and, and it doesn't have to be more expensive. In fact, it's oftentimes cheaper, but uh, I think what is critical as city leaders we have to start to do, and as community members, is look at every single decision through a lens of pride. Is this project going to instill more pride in our communities? And, and that's not, shouldn't be too difficult. You know, is that 
are these design guidelines going to make anybody more proud? Is this new road going to make anybody more proud? Like we've we've had 50 years of making decisions that are based on other things, right? You know, based on convenience, based on this or that, and it, and it's led us to a, down a pretty dark road. And instead, if we thought like, is this going to make the citizens of our community more proud to be of this community? If we were to make that simple but somewhat fundamental shift, I think it could change yeah. things substantially. Yeah, and no, I think that's a great way to look at it because I think we do start most projects and things start with some other goal, you know, like move cars or, you know, just increase the tax base or, you know, just something. Um, so, yeah, I like that, the, the pride yeah. angle. Right. I just think it's going to change the relationship people have with their communities because if people aren't proud of their community, if they don't love it, they're not going to support it and they're, they're going to leave it. I mean, what's, what's your attachment? If, if, uh, we were driving through um, kind of a depressed Western Pennsylvania community last summer and, and I asked the kids, like, well, what do you think of this town? I said, well, you're only here if you're stuck here. And like, oh, like that, you know, that breaks your heart. And like, there's probably a fair amount of truth to that, that the people that have the ability to leave that community probably did. And that's not good enough. Uh, so I think that that is something that that's sort of fundamentally needs to change. The other thing that, that I think is um, something I urge communities to do is to think about community first capitalism, you know, and because and, what you always get is, well, oh, are you some sort of, you know, are you some sort of anti-business? Are you a socialist or something? Anytime you ever suggest anything that's like not pro dollar general. Right. And like, just pump the brakes. It's okay to be community first capitalism, to put locals first, to try to build the local economy. Still, still capitalism. We're still talking about, right. you know, uh, making money, but just doing it in a way that benefits the community first because no national chain, I mean, national chains don't come to your town to lose money. Right. You know, they're not benevolent. They come to your town and because they found something of, of worth that they can extract. Sure. And the more that you have, the less, the more of those outside influences you have, the less, local money resources you're going to have. So, so I really want, would like to see communities really take that strategy of, of let's grow our local economy first and just hold off on, on any outside interests. And so when you say that, I guess the starting points are, when you say grow local economy, you're not talking about just local dollars because an outside company could come open a store in your local economy. You're, that's not falling under what you're describing as local economy, right? Right. It's fostering local ownership. What we right. once had were all our, you know, all the buildings in our community were owned by local people and all the businesses in our community were owned by local people. And that's kind of been wiped out or, or at least it's been, it's drastically been reduced. And that you see in the communities that are doing the best, the districts are doing the best, they still have that. They're right. still small scale, you know, human scale buildings and a bunch of locally owned businesses. And so to, to change your economic development strategy away from, you know, highways and, and you know, parking lots and 100,000 square foot buildings and instead, because it's, what always gets me, it's like, we did it before. Right. You're like, uh, 150 years ago, you had a group of people that built a city from, Nothing right. I mean, from local trees and, and stone. Right. So it can be done again. Sure. Uh, it's just a matter of priority. So, I mean, you, it's some more incremental development, small development, as opposed to large, not here's millions of dollars of tax incentives to come. Right. Yeah, there's no great city that was ever built all at once. Right. You know, there's, there's no place that we love that was all built at once. They were all built incrementally, organically over time one building at a time, one shop at a time, and those are still the best places in the world. Right. Yet that's not a place that we have built for 70 years. Right. I mean, I, I think like... They're adaptable. Yeah, I, I, my, I live in a 20s neighborhood in, in Pittsburgh, and 
It's to me, it's like the perfect neighborhood. I love it. They haven't built a neighborhood like that since then, right. which is crazy. Like you can't build that neighborhood today, which is senseless. Like yeah. why wouldn't you? Right. Yeah, and so I mean, do you th- is it just as simple as the car and suburbs that kind of just got us off track? Uh, I think those are all play a role, but I think a lot of it, I do really think a lot of it lies with local policymakers that they've put policies in place that so much could be done at a council level that most councils have, have spent the last few decades putting policies in place that really facilitate one type of development and really discourage another. And, and so that if you can get them to start to pull back some of that legislation and, and tilt the playing field locally instead of you know nationally, that a lot of that would take place. I mean, there's so many people would love to stay in their town and become a building owner, would love to stay in their town and, and op- open a small shop. But you know, it's a lot easier to go to a town and build a 100,000 square foot retail right. uh, store with, with you know, another half mile of parking than it is to renovate a 10,000 square foot yeah. building. And that's, that's ludicrous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we live in the town that I grew up in. We own a business there and we were looking to buy a building for our small six person agency. Mm-hmm. And so we were looking for, and we can't buy anything. And there's vacant buildings that are owned by corporations that are just waiting to like, oh, well, we're just going to build townhomes there or we're going to do, you know, and there's a perfectly good 3,000 square foot building that freestanding that, you know, is just sitting there doing nothing. That, that's something that shocked me when I finally came to the realization that the vacancy, you just assume any vacant building is one where there's an owner waiting for somebody to just call. Right. And it's not, it's not, if they were just profit motivated, we wouldn't even have this issue, which blows me away. It's like capitalism is, isn't even functioning downtown. Those buildings aren't on the market. And that, again, comes back to city leaders. Like, if you shouldn't allow a building to sit there and, and decline. Right. If, if you're going to let a building decline to the point where it, it's, I mean, that's a failure. Uh, and everybody's complicit. And so I think that that is a major issue that, that we have a misunderstanding about. It's not that the market wouldn't, it's not that the market's not working and somebody wouldn't buy that building and fix it up. It's the fact that it's not really for sale. And that is, again... I think the responsibility of city council to pass legislation that, so, I mean, what a loss for your community that you can't go in, buy a building, renovate it, and, and probably have three four floors of active space and this nice little business. How many times does that happen? Sure. You, know, you have to wonder, does that happen 20, 30 times in your town to other people? Yeah. That change everything. Well, and I think, I think everybody drives by that every day and just assumes, why doesn't somebody just go do that? And right. like you said, they don't know that it's not even for sale. And I didn't. And I had to, I was, I was like, I'm trying to give people money. Why are they not taking my money? And um, I kind of had to get a firsthand education on, oh, okay, I see what's happening now. I see why, see how this is working. Right. And it, it's, yeah, that whole myth is really sort of um, keeps us stagnant. And you just assume all those buildings are the same boat. And, you know, what drives me crazy is most of those people that currently own those buildings inherited them, picked them up, you know, like most of those people never even paid cash for those buildings. Somehow they came to them. Um, so you've got all these people that never spent a cent on their building that barely maintain them, you know, that are crippling local economies and we just let them do it. Mm-hmm. You know, but if it was your house, if you let your house go for a couple of months, right. the city would come out in a second. But right. if it's a downtown building, it's like, ah, it's all right. Yeah. We're, we're going to let are you a proponent of kind of the smaller, like tactical urbanism, kind of start one intersection at a time, temporary things? I mean, yeah, you see for that sure. working? For sure. Anything that's not big, right. <laughs> you know, start small. The, the, yeah, any project that is multi acre, like immediately sort of starts to worry me. I think that the small stuff, you know, if, if I always think of it as that cities are like people. And if 
you know, if the morning I look in the mirror, I'm like, ah, I'm not, you know, not feeling it today. Like, my jacket doesn't fit, my hair's a mess, or I'm out of shape. Like, that affects my day, and I feel bad about myself. Right. Well, what do we do? You know, what do you do as a person to, to cheer yourself up? Well, okay, I'm going to go for a run. I might, might go shopping, might get a haircut. Like, all those things are going to pick me up a little bit. And I, tr- I believe a city is 100% the same. Right. That the smallest thing of picking weeds, fixing up a torn awning, like, that has a maybe little but an impact on you. And if you do enough of those over time, that, that transforms who you are and how you view yourself in the city is the same. Right. Yeah, totally agree. So if people are hearing what you're saying and they're liking what you're saying and want to kind of read more, hear more about what you do, where should they go? Uh, Revitalizerdie.com is, is where I talk shit. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I put out a pretty regular blog post and, and you know, do some videos there and, and just do a, share a lot of social media. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it's kind of been my uh, forum to, to try to elevate some of these issues and, and hopefully to try to reach out to city leaders to help them uh, understand that they can do a better job, that they can be more effective uh, by sort of throwing out uh, what they think is progress in the last 50 years. So revitalizerdie.com. Uh, do a little. I got a little merch on there too. A little store for okay. for urbanist apparel. Um, nice. Kind of realized that there was also there's a bunch of things. Where you're like, oh, I wish there was a shirt for that. I wish there was a shirt for that. I'm like, well, screw it. I guess we're gonna make some shirts for that. So, yeah. um, so you can also get some gear there. But uh, yeah, hopefully anybody that's interested in, in these topics, feel free to reach out. Cool. Well, yeah, I appreciate you taking some time to chat with us, and looking forward to your keynote later. And thanks again. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Appreciate you having me. Cool, man. So that was part one of the Civic Pride episode. Uh, The next episode, part two, Civic Brand Team gets together and just has a follow-up conversation building off a lot of those ideas and topics of Civic Pride. So if you dug that, check out the next one. Thanks for listening to Eyes on the Street, a Civic Brand podcast. If you're interested in learning more, check out civicbrand.com.